0: I'm not crying, you're crying. (laughs) If you don't know what that's from, shame on you. you. That's from the best Western ever made. Now I know I might get some flack for that. Okay, yeah, that's good. Because everybody loves Tombstone around here. I get it. There's a lot of affection for Tombstone. It's a great movie too. But Lonesome Dove, Augustus McRae. Woodrow Call. Man, Joshua Dietz. If you've never seen it, you need to set aside a day of your life because it's, uh, it's actually a miniseries. It's not just a movie. So one, one sitting would be six hours to complete the film, but it's worth it, <laughs> completely worth it. Great life lessons, never shirked a task. Mm. That, was, that was, he was reading his epitaph. What would your epitaph say? And some of you are like, what's an epitaph? Well, an epitaph is what he just read. It's what, what, what is on your tombstone. What does it say? How does it read? We don't really do epitaphs anymore um, because they've, they've been replaced by obituaries. Right? So now we have obituaries, which you can write more things in an obituary than you can in, in an epitaph on a tombstone. So what would your obituary say? Uh, if you haven't figured it out by now, the passage we're talking about tonight is about death. Once again, in Genesis, we're talking about death. Um, but I think it's a sobering thing to talk about. I think that the Lord includes it so much in his word because he wants us to remember. And it's important for us to remember these things. Now, back in 2016, I got a phone call. Um, the the oldest member of our church had passed away. This was when I was living in Winston-Salem, um, and his name was Bud Pike, and he was 97 years old. He he was a World War II vet, and he would let you know it. Um, and anytime he could, he'd wear his uniform to church. Uh, he served faithfully in the church, and uh, and his wife actually called, and I was able to go over with our pastor at the time um, to their house the day that he passed away, and, and sit in his living room, and um, watch him carry his body out, and um, Miss Polly was his name. They they were married for like sixty five years, and uh, and she said um, she said you know I'm I loved Bud, and I'm sad he's gone, but I love Jesus more, and now I get to serve him more. And uh, and, and she uh, she said Joseph, would you take this um, as a gift? And and she handed me Bud's stopwatch, and he got it from his grandpa. It was really old. It's a really cool gift, and uh, it, it's a piece of history, and, and so I, I humbly accepted that, and um, as I was reflecting on, on this passage, as I was reflecting on, on that time, um, I, was, I was remembering Bud and Polly, and, uh, and I was remembering that last year, I got a call that Polly passed away, and she was 96 when she passed away. That sounds really old to us today, um, but we're going to hear of a much older death. But Bud and Polly were the, the, the brick and mortar of the church. Like they were always there, members for decades. And, and although they had passed away, their descendants lived on. And the church continues to this day that they served so faithfully. So tonight, as we are in Genesis 25... The first 18 verses only, we're not in the whole chapter, just going to be in the first 18 verses. We're going to see descendants, we're going to see death, we're going to see descendants again, and we're going to see death again. That's the simple outline that we're going to look at tonight. Congratulations, by the way, we have made it halfway through Genesis. Because, I mean, it's 50 chapters, we're in 25. So that's pretty cool. Um, But, I mean, I really need the Lord's help in preaching this, because there's a lot of crazy names in here. Um, So let's pray before we dive into the text. Father God, um, we are super thankful uh, just to be in this place. Um, While breath is still in our lungs, Lord, we know um, that you hold our life in your hands, that every day has been marked out for us uh, before we even lived one of them. Uh, Your word is very clear that you are the the author, the creator, uh, and the giver of life, and so we acknowledge your sovereignty over our lives. And I, I thank you that every person that is in this room is here tonight to hear your word. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Holy Spirit, we need what you have to say tonight. Um, otherwise, my words would just fall on deaf ears. And so I pray that we would um, learn from your word. God, that we would walk away from this place um, more serious about the way we live matters. Our life makes an impact and a difference here and now, how we invest in other people and in your church. Lord, I pray that we would take your word seriously and we would take this time seriously. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you look with me in Genesis chapter 25, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. So K- Keturah was the third mother of Abraham's children. All right, her name means spices, not spicy. We, we got one of those already, spices. Okay, her name means spices. That's gonna come up, it's gonna be important in a minute. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Midian, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Lethshuim, and Limium. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephra, Hanak, Abedah, and Elda. Akbar, Boba Fett, Chewbacca, all of these were the children. Oh, you were paying attention. <laughs> See, some of you were paying attention. All of these were the children of Keturah. So, I mean, I know it really does sound like the, the, this is names, people from like a galaxy far, far away. And you're like, this is what, what does this have to do with anything? Why is this here in the word of God? It's important for us to remember, this is real history. Like, these are real people. These are dads, these are moms, this is siblings, these are grandpas, these are grandmas, right? This is the genealogy that is in this passage and the one that's going to be later on that we're going to read. It, they frame Abraham's death. These genealogies, his descendants frame his death and it's very, it's strategic how it's put in here. How do you know if somebody is trustworthy? If they do what they're going to say, Right? Well, these genealogies prove God's faithfulness to his promises. He always does what he's going to say. He said, I promise you, Abraham, you're going to have descendants. What are we reading right now? Descendants. Multitudes of descendants. You have, you'll have plenty. So, one quick takeaway is that God is faithful to his word, he can be trusted. He is faithful. So, Abraham had many children, but he only had one son of promise. Look at verse 5. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, who was the promised son. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. So Isaac was the promised son, the, 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 the seed of promise. And so the one who would get all of, that his father had to give. And, and so Isaac gets Abraham's inheritance. So there, notice there's no secondary heir in this passage. It doesn't say that Ishmael received an inheritance, right? Abraham's firstborn son. He's not the son of promise. Isaac was. And so Isaac's the sole heir. He is the prince of the promise. So what would Abraham's other sons get? It says that Abraham's sons were getting gifts and then they were sent away to the east country. Now, I'm going to show you a few different maps tonight because I'd I'm not very good at geography. It helped me to like look at the map and see what does this look like. Um, And so the first map is going to be the east country. So um, if it works. Did the maps work? Maybe, maybe not. If the maps didn't work, then I'm sorry. Uh, um, The east country for them would be to the east (laughs) of the Red Sea, right? Where Jordan is currently. Saudi Arabia is right underneath that, okay? So if you can picture the Mediterranean Sea and where Israel is, Jerusalem, Dead Sea, that's where the east country is. So that's where they went, all right? So the history of um, a lot of these sons from Keturah is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, not just in Genesis. Actually, the prophet Isaiah, when he's prophesying about the future glory of Israel, says this in Isaiah chapter 60 verse 6, a multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. So Midian, Sheba, and Ephah were Abraham and Keturah's sons. And remember Keturah means spices. One commentator actually said the most biblical scholars believe that their their sons became principals in the international spice trade. The gathering and distribution of frankincense and myrrh and other aromatic substances. And so it seems that Isaiah 60 would back this belief up. These six sons and Ishmael's 12 princes, which we will see later in the passage, would surely make Abraham the father of many tribes and many nations. So he left a legacy before he passed away. Well, look at verse 7. It says, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. That's a long time. We got a few birthdays today, people in the church. I think um, Sean Clark, he'd be like four times this old, (laughs) at least. I mean, so Sean, if you feel old now, man, I'm sorry. Abraham was four times your age. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. So Abraham died at a good old age. He'd lived a long, full life, yet all of his days were numbered. No one dies late, and no one dies too early. Everybody's death is just on time. How can you say that, Joseph? Well, Psalm 39.4 says, O Lord, make me know my end. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Just like every hair on your head is numbered, every day that you have to breathe on this earth is numbered. So the wise people understand this. They grapple with this because it makes us face our own mortality, which is important. To know death is near should expedite our focus in life. It should make us focus on what's the most important thing in life. Maybe we wouldn't waste our lives so much if we thought often about our end is near. We don't know if we're gonna have tomorrow or not. God is faithful. He's faithful in life. He's faithful in death because God is consistent. He doesn't change. So I wonder, I wonder how Abraham's epitaph read. Oh, I wonder what Abraham's obituary would say. Abraham, father of faith, this man believed God, especially when it didn't make sense. He proved his faith with obedience to God's word. He lived future-focused, not fixing his eyes on this temporary life, but looking to his eternal inheritance, a man who truly feared the Lord. Who would bury him but his second and firstborn? Notice in verse 9, that's the order that is given. In the word of the Lord. Isaac is listed first. He is the chosen son of promise. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre. The field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. And after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And Isaac settled at Beer Lahairoi. So Isaac and Ishmael are reunited to Bury their father. These are half-brothers, remember? same dad, different moms. And it, it isn't recorded for us that like, there was like family feud. It isn't recorded that there's bad blood between them, like there kind of was between Sarah and Hagar. It appears that this is a family reunion where there's mutual respect and love for their father. You remember back in Genesis 23 when Abraham went to such great lengths to purchase the cave at Machpelah to bury Sarah? Now Abraham's sons would bury him beside his wife there. I had another map to show you where that was, but hey, check it out. So they would have traveled from here up there to bury Abraham at Machpelah. There's going to be another map. It's super exciting. Um, but it's, uh, it's good to know also where uh, Beer Lahairoi is. So uh, Beer Lahairoi, there we go. Look at that. So there is Hebron up there. That's basically where Jerusalem would be. Um, and Machpelah is right there to the east of Hebron. And so there's Beersheba. And then all the way down here is Beer Lahairoi. So that would be near Sinai. And Egypt is further that way if you're looking at the map, if you're listening to this later, you're completely lost, and I apologize. Um, So the blessings of God on Abraham is clearly passed on in this passage directly from Abraham to Isaac. God said that. So Isaac is now the reigning patriarch of Israel, and this is a picture of God's covenant blessing being passed from one generation to another. Likewise, we who have the gospel We are responsible for passing on from one generation to another the grace of God that we have seen and heard and shown throughout all generations. So now, the text is going to tell us about Ishmael's children, starting in verse 12. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Neboeth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Keter, and Adbel. Mibsim, Mishma, Duma, Masah, Haram, Tima, Jetuar, Nepshish, and Kedima. Probably butchered all of those. There we go. But if you remember back in Genesis 21, when God told Abraham to send Ishmael and Hagar away, but then he promised in verse 13, I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So what we're reading right now is that God, once again, is faithful to his promises because he's always faithful to his word. He always does what he says he's going to do. So these are 12 princes of Ishmael. They were notable in their time, but not in salvation history. Look at verse 16. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names. By their villages and by their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. So God's promise in Genesis 17, 20, as for Ishmael, I have heard you, behold, I've blessed him. I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I'll make him into a great nation. We know because of these verses in 25 that we just read that God's promises have been fulfilled. And so this passage has walked us from descendants to death to more descendants and it's about to end with more death, but then fulfillment. Look at verse 17. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all of his kinsmen, which was also prophesied for him. So there's one more map, I think, of where, there we go. Modern day Iraq is where it says the opposite, and it says Assyria, so that's where Iraq is. And see, so Ber Lahai Roy would have been right there above Sinai. So Egypt is to the west. And then opposite of that would have been Iraq. So even northeast of Jordan, which is, which is where they're talking about all of his kinsmen were settled. So this is a reminder for us of the brevity of life. This entire passage. Ishmael has passed away. He's breathed his last. He's died. He's been gathered to his people. So now that we're done with all of these verses, it makes me ask a lot of questions that I've had to wrestle with myself and that I think are good questions for us to ask of ourselves and to think about seriously. When I die, when I'm gathered to my people, when I breathe my last, what will my epitaph say? What will my obituary say? What are people going to say at my funeral? Is that going to change the way that I'm living right now, the decisions that I'm making right now, how I'm spending my time, how I'm spending money, what I'm investing in? How will people remember you? What will you leave behind for an inheritance? Here we are in 2022 staring at Genesis 25 in these final verses about Abraham's descendants. We've been studying about Abraham's life for a few chapters, but we're closing that chapter. Abraham's dead. We're going to move on. If you are in Christ, then you are the spiritual offspring of Abraham because of the line of the promised seed of the woman, the Messiah, Jesus who came through Abraham. Galatians 3, 8 through 9 says and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, if you shall all the nations in you shall all the nations be blessed, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So we, like Isaac, get the blessing through Christ. There's nothing that we have done Galatians 3.29 says, if you are Christ's, if you're in Christ, if you belong to the Lord, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So salvation for Abraham was by faith alone. Salvation for us today is by faith alone. It's only by God's grace that we're saved from the penalty of our sin through faith in Christ alone. And it's only by God's grace that we are sanctified today through faith in Christ alone. And it's only by God's grace that we will be sustained until the end of our days when we breathe our last through faith in Christ alone. One pastor said faith in God's promises, or today we would say faith in Christ, who is the confirmation of God's promises, is the way to become a child of Abraham. Obedience is the evidence that faith is genuine. Obedience is the evidence that faith is genuine. Children of Abraham are people from all nations who put their hope in Christ. How do we know that God is faithful? How do we know that he keeps his promises? If you ever have any doubts whatsoever, look to the cross and look to the empty tomb. That's how you know that God keeps his promises. Everything Jesus said, he did. And if if you didn't believe what he said and how he acted, then you gotta reckon with the empty tomb. He's not there anymore. He's alive. He kept his promises. He came back from the dead. And and today we read in the word that Abraham walked by faith. Guess what? We can walk by faith too. If we look to Christ, because true faith, it's not a blind leap in the dark. It's not just wishful thinking. That's not what true faith is. True faith rests on the certainty that God will deliver. He'll do what he said he'll do. He's always faithful to his word. He fulfills all of his promises. He did fulfill all of his promises to Abraham. He will fulfill all of his promises to you and me. God will fulfill all of his promises, everything that he said. As we've been looking through Genesis, we've seen that he sees you. He knows you. He hears you. He cares about you. He sees. He knows. He's also with you. He's promised, I'll never leave you. So our faith here and now, we look forward to the future unseen realities. We hope for now. Our hope is grounded and it's sure because God is dependable. You can trust him. As sure as the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, our resurrection is promised to those who are in Christ. So these few 18 verses in Genesis 25 remind us that the world does not revolve around you or me. So if you're living your life like you're the center of the universe and everybody should do and look to you and do whatever you say and think and that you call the shots and you're you're the Lord over your own life and you're sovereign— This is a a, a very gentle reminder from God's Word that the world doesn't revolve around you, that your days are numbered, you will come to an end, you will breathe your last, you will be gathered to your people, and the world will move on. We will pass away. Your descendants, if you have any, will live on after you. You will be dead, you will be buried, but life will go on for those who are still living and breathing So with your remaining years, maybe months, maybe days, maybe moments, how will you invest? The single greatest inheritance that you can leave anyone, whether you have children or not in this world, is to invest in the never-ending church of Jesus Christ. That's the single greatest inheritance, because with 100% certainty, The church was here before you were born, and the church will be here after you die. Jesus himself said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The kingdom of God is the single greatest thing that you can invest in. It will far outlast my life. It'll far outlast your life. It's our eternal family. So why would we not invest in it? Last chapter, we saw God's sovereign provision and how he brought the promised seed of the woman through. And now here we see God's covenant faithfulness and he's blessing Isaac. And we see, we know that that's going to come to fruition in Christ alone. And so Jesus encourages us to trust in God's sovereign plan. His plan is his church. There is no other plan. Like, your life will come to an end. My life will come to an end. This summer will come to an end. But the church won't. Like, your school years will come to an end. Praise the Lord. But, your, but his church won't. Your job, whatever you're working so hard for, spending hours on end, at, will come to an end. But his church won't. Your youthfulness will come to an end, but his church won't. As this passage reminds us, your old age will come to an end, but his church won't. So invest in the never-ending church of Jesus Christ for his glory, for other people's good. I don't know a lot about finances, but I know that the ROI on that is worth it. Because King Jesus is trustworthy, faithful, and true, and I'll never let you down. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for meeting us where we are, but for always telling us the truth. And I thank you for being faithful to all of your promises. God, your word is so full of so many awesome, awesome promises. And one of those promises is that we will come to an end, that our days will be wrapped up here, that one day our family, our friends, those who are left will be around our tomb remembering us and they will live on, our descendants. And I pray, Lord, that we would seriously contemplate how we are living our lives. Where we are running from you, where we're hiding, where we're not investing in you, in your kingdom, in your church, where we're not loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, I pray, Father, that you would draw people out of their darkness. Lord, I pray that you would help us to face the brevity of life, so that we would not waste our lives and that we would invest in other people for your glory, oh God, and for their good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.